This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Hey, this is Annie. Oh, and Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. We've been doing that intro for a while now, and I just did it out of memory for the first time. And I'm feeling really proud of myself right now. You should, because I couldn't. Uh, You probably could. Um, (laughs) For this, this classic episode... We wanted to to bring back one that Kristen and Caroline did um, called Daddy's Girls about the relationships between fathers and daughters. And we recently did an episode on daddy issues. Right. And they touch on this, on that whole thing a bit in this episode. And um, it's just been on my mind recently, and I've always kind of been curious about, well, we just have interesting, I find interesting dynamics in our society about the relationships right. between um, children and their parents. So Inevitable. 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 You're right. There's a quote I wanted to say, but I forgot it immediately. <laughs> so it's useless. Useless. <laughs> but this episode is not useless, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. And welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And this episode is part two of Weird Parental Psychology Week because in the last episode, we talked all about the mama's boy trope. And today, we're going to talk about daddy's girls and daddy issues. Right. Because, you know, we, we started off our mama's boy, which I know you listen to. We started off our Mama's Boy episode talking about kind of the darker side of not only being a Mama's Boy, but what people assumed about you and what that meant. Hitler. Yeah, we, talk, we talked a lot about Hitler. We talked a lot about Hitler. Um, we're not going to talk about Hitler this time that I know of, Kristen. Um, but we are going to talk about daddy issues because that is never meant as a positive thing. No, it's not. And... It hadn't occurred to me until, I, I don't know what I was reading, but I was on the internet and someone made some quip about, you know, insulting a woman by calling, by saying that, oh, she must have daddy issues. Mm. And a little stuff mom never told you, Bell, went on off in my brain thinking, why is that a thing? Why is that? I mean, not not why are daddy issues a thing, although we will talk about that, but why is that this Pop cultural knee jerk insult directed at women and a lot directed at feminists. 
Now, for our international listeners who might not be so familiar with this term, daddy issues, for a little bit of a very casual definition of what it is, according to the Urban Dictionary, it's whenever a female has a screwed up, for the podcast, relationship with her father or absence of a father figure during her childhood, so it tends to spill into any adult relationship they embark on, usually to the chagrin of any poor male in her life. So stereotypically, women with daddy issues are needy, obsessive, dramatic, insecure, and looking for love in all the wrong places. Well, that'll be in my head for the rest of the day. Um, But it's also tacked on to women and girls who are specifically attracted to older men and just people assume that something's got to be wrong with you if you're attracted to somebody who is even a little bit older. Yeah, you must be secretly wanting to have sex with your father. And then there's the whole idea that vocal feminists must certainly have toxic relationships or harbor hatred toward their dads because why else would they have and express distaste with a patriarchal status quo? Feminists be having daddy issues that is that is one of the most like just a hallmark of a trollish uh criticism that (laughs) you will get on the internet if you talk about gender equality long enough not that it's ever happened to me (laughs) and for the record I, i love my dad i have a perfectly healthy relationship with him but why am i even having to defend that I don't know, Kristen. I don't know. Because we're about to talk about why that's so good that you have a relationship with your dad. Yeah. So there is a whole bunch of research on the dynamics and effects and impacts of the father-daughter relationship. I would say even more so comparing it to uh, what we read about for our Mama's Boy episode. It seems like this father-daughter relationship has been put even more so under the academic microscope than the mother-son relationship. Yeah, whereas it seems like a lot of the mama's boy research, you know, if there was any academic psychological research, was all really early and it was all super negative and awful. And it was all sort of justifying why being a mama's boy is so terrible. Yeah, it was very homophobic. Very homophobic, whereas... The studies into being a daddy's girl or having, quote, daddy issues or whatever, it's much more um, encouraging of that relationship. Yeah, encouraging if you have an active paternal presence. It's very pro-dad being involved with her daughter, whereas on the flip side, there's a lot of panic where if you have a negative relationship or a non-existent relationship with a father figure, then you will have a lot of premarital sex which we will get into more. There's a lot of sex panic surrounding this Mm -hmm. whole daddy issues and daddy's girl things. So there was a 2014 study published in the Men's Studies Press called Fathers in the Dorm Room, The Unique Influence of Fathers and Mothers on Young Adult Functioning. And it was really fascinating because it it wasn't so much focused on the father-daughter relationship, but rather just the paternal influence on kids, sons, and daughters alike and how they develop psychologically, their self-esteem, rates of depression. And previous studies cited in this 2014 study note how dads in particular have a very strong influence, even stronger, some would say, than moms on young kids. Yeah, so they cited a 2012 study, for instance, that found that father's acceptance might correlate stronger to children's psychological adjustment versus mother's acceptance, 
Uh, similarly, a 2008 study found that a father's indifference was more related to children's scores on measures of depression. And a 2002 study looked at father's sensitivity during toddler play and tied it to predicted attachment representations in adolescence versus the mother's influence. So all of these studies are pointing to dad having a super strong influence on all, all number of things. Yeah, and this isn't just within American culture. A lot of these study findings do apply cross-culturally as well. And in this 2014 study sample, they, the kids that they looked at for the fathers in the dorm room, which is such a creepy image uh, study, they found that father's acceptance was substantially more variable than mother's acceptance levels. And this is a theme that you see come up a lot when it comes to the father-daughter relationship. This idea that we sometimes as children take our mother's love for granted, Mm -hmm. whereas a father's love and acceptance of us, I think that acceptance part is really important, is something that we feel like we have to earn. Yeah, and so I had like like a real like real talk moment with myself when I was reading these studies in the mirror. Yeah, were, were I, was, real talking? I was real talking to myself like, "Hey, you, you're all right, you're all right." But no, I I I can feel this uh, from my own experience because my mother, I'm an only ch- raised an only child, uh, and my mother was like, we were super close. I was more of a mama's girl than a daddy's girl, even though my dad and I were always close and had a good relationship. But it always felt like, oh, well, I'm always perfect in my mother's eyes. Like, she's always going to think I'm perfect and that I'm the prettiest and the best and the smartest. Um, Whereas my dad is a little more on the stoic side. And so it's like I knew he was proud of me, but I really felt like I had to work harder to earn that pride and that acceptance and that attention. I can completely empathize with it. And and that seems too like a common theme that you see in, in in this study, in fact, from 2014, about how we as kids are really attuned to and sensitive to um, our father's levels of acceptance and also rejection. And one key quote that jumped out to me in the study discussion was that parental acceptance and rejection may be perceived as a reflection of the self's social worth, thus low acceptance and high rejection by fathers compared to mothers may carry more negative psychological consequences. <gasps> Dads beware. Interesting. Uh, well, psychologist Peggy Drexler, who's the author of Our Fathers Ourselves, um, talks about the fact that many daughters, this is a quote, many daughters idolize their fathers because they don't know them well enough to see their flaws and therefore desire his approval. She talks a lot about how stereotypically, uh, culturally, the father's working outside the home more. Maybe he travels more than mom does. Maybe mom's home more being the primary caregiver. And it's that whole like allure of this powerful man outside the house. And if he's, oh, well, if he's so powerful and needed out there, then obviously he's like a big shot. And there's that whole idea that dad is this sort of other figure. He's a little bit more distant from us than mom who is, you know, very close in terms of being a caregiver. So we've got to work harder and try to impress him more. Although I do have a feeling that narrative is rapidly changing as Mm -hmm. you do have more stay-at-home dads, for instance, or moms who are the breadwinners and and dads in general just being more invested in childcare. And I think that would be a, a good way for, a positive way for it to be 
evolving. Um, but if we look a little more closely, too, at that father-daughter relationship, not just looking at kids in general, looking now at dads and daughters, what kind of dynamics tend to emerge? Uh, so there's also this common refrain that fathers are the first men whose love girls seek out. And a, a lot of this, too, you have to keep in mind, is coming from a very heteronormative framework. Um, there's this important importance of the father figure in terms of you know being that that first guy that whose love and affection girls want to win over is based on the assumption that you know in the, in the future she will be seeking the love and affection of other men and so dads thus establish our earliest models of what we expect relationships with men to be like and then our relationship attachment styles which we've talked a lot before on the podcast anxious attachment secure attachment etc then flow from there yeah thanks or no thanks dad yeah i mean i can i can totally see how this this goes beyond just like being a stereotype and something that people assume i can totally see how dad would be a model and psychologist jennifer kromberg basically says yeah yeah, basically, that's, that's how that works. She says, in my years of psychology practice, I've met very few women who didn't unconsciously or consciously pick a romantic partner based on her dad talking about it's true for whether she a woman dates a man because he's like her father or because he's nothing like her dad. Somehow it's all based one way or another on her relationship with her father. Yeah, and we actually did a podcast a while back now called do we marry our parents which if you want if you want to dig more into this kind of uh, psychology you can head over to stuff mom and uh, look in our podcast archive which you can get to by clicking on the podcast tab and scrolling all the way down and you'll see uh, a button browse all of our podcasts and the episode title is do we marry our parents uh, but back to dads and daughters uh what daughters say they want more from their dads and perhaps to divert these so-called daddy issues that negative baggage that we uh, you know hear about so often in a very flip kind of way um according to a 2011 study in contemporary sexuality what daughters and in, in this case college-age daughters wanted more from their dads was quote understanding men suggesting ways to deal with pressure to have sex sharing their own experiences about adolescence, dating and sex when they, as in dads, were adolescents, communicating values, providing more information on sexual risk topics, and being more open and comfortable when talking to their daughters. Because this entire study was looking at how dads talk to their daughters about sex, and the answer is not very much because that's uncomfortable. As a lot of the, the male psychologists they talk to say... Yeah, it can be uncomfortable if you are a dad to talk to your daughter about sex because then it gets into questions of, well, what did you do, dad? And then having to say out loud, well, I was young and horny once and then the awkward silence that ensues. Right. Yeah. The whole idea about dad being all like, hey, kiddo, and palling around with you before puberty and then puberty hits. And suddenly dad feels like he's in an awkward, like, just talk to your mother phase. Yeah, because I'm sure for a lot of dads, there's, uh, you know, a line that they want to respect and don't want to cross. But also, too, you hear from these these older daughters saying that they, you know, wish that there had been more recognition of the fact that, yeah, they were growing up and that's not a scary thing. And it would have been nice from that primary model of, what men are like in relationships to have one that's open and honest and able to talk about 
things like sex. Yeah, but to be fair, neither of my parents talked to me about sex. So that one that one wasn't all on dad. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> and I mean, my mom definitely talked to me more about it. And the messages that I got from my dad about sex were more in the sense of, no, you don't want to know what happens in a boy's mind, which for the record, people, not a good message to give to your daughters. <laughs> Well, Kristen, we have a lot more to talk about, but first we're going to take a quick break. When it comes to mailing and shipping, it can seem like a no-win situation because it eats up valuable time going to the post office, and it's also expensive. Luckily, we know a better way with Stamps.com, where you can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your desk. Plus, Stamps.com is even more powerful than a postage meter at just a fraction of the cost. And you can save up to 80% compared to a postage meter, and you don't have to go back to the post office. Right now, you can use our promo code STUFF to access a special offer. It's a no-risk trial that includes a $110 bonus offer with a digital scale and up to $55 of free postage. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in stuff. That's stamps.com and enter stuff. And now back to the show. Speaking of messages that dads are giving their daughters, what happens when daughters don't have those ideal, strong, warm relationships with dad? Uh, A 2012 study looked at stress responses that women experience and found that Those who had reported relationships with their dad characterized by rejection, chaos, and coercion ended up having basically higher stress hormone levels, so cortisol levels, and before a task that they anticipated to be stressful and had higher cortisol in response to a problem discussion with a friend. They were also more likely to self-disclose about psychosocial stressors. Yeah, that disclosure thing is something that comes up a lot in terms of uh, correlates, behavioral correlates for women who have dysfunctional relationships with their dads. There is a lot more disclosure going on, and I'm not Mm -hmm. sure why, but that was just something that I noticed from the research. Um, But in that particular instance, the opposite was true for the women who, you know, had self-reported father-daughter relationships characterized by warmth, autonomy, support, and structure. They actually, on a physiological level, manage stressful situations better. And Caroline, you know, what is incredible to me is the fact that this relationship has been studied down to a physiological level. Did you see any physiological, biological studies about the influence of mothers' relationships on their sons and how they manage stress? Definitely not. There were just a handful that talked about aggression versus emotional literacy. Huh. Hmm. It's fascinating when you compare what we what we focus on uh, in terms of, you know, studies and all that. Uh, when it comes to the risky behavior, oh, risky business comes up a lot in father-daughter studies. There was a 2014 study which found that Female participants who reported low psychological presence from their dads were likelier to engage in risky behavior like drug use and hookups. And there was also a 2006 study in the Journal of Black Psychology which found that girls with involved dads were less likely to use illegal drugs. And that's a pattern that comes up over and over and over and over again in all of these studies is that, you know, absent or dysfunctional relationships with dads 
are usually correlated to riskier behavior, which usually just is a, a catch-all for drug use, alcohol use, tobacco use, and premarital sex hmm. and teen pregnancy. Interesting. Not uh, sliding down a long hallway with just a <laughs> button-up and socks. Listening to Bob Seger? Yes. So, and of course, this all ties into relationship habits as well. This is what we talk a lot about when you think about women with quote-unquote daddy issues. But other studies have shown associations between negative relationships with dads and relationship self-esteem, overall self-disclosure, and overall self-silencing in romantic relationships. And then when it comes to sex, this is kind of echoing what I just said a minute ago, there was a 2003 study in child development which found that girls with absent fathers were likelier to become pregnant, and I'm assuming that means teen pregnancy, and other studies have also correlated, again, absent or dysfunctional dads with not just uh, sexual promiscuity, but lower sexual confidence in daughters which psychologists would say would then lead to that quote-unquote risky behavior. So there is a lot of concern echoed over and over again about will a bad dad lead to essentially a promiscuous daughter. There's a lot of focus just on that sex behavior of the daughter. Right. And uh, Catherine Hutchinson and Julie Cedarbaum in a study looked at women who talked about uh, their fathers kind of encapsulating them and in this whole daddy's girl role and found that these according to these women and their perspective, their father's inability to see them as anything but little girls was actually a barrier to father daughter sexual communication. The father refusing to see his daughter as a, either a grown-up woman or as a developing adolescent, refusing to accept it, that she's anything other than daddy's princess. Well, and in that situation, too, I think those those relationships weren't necessarily seen as negative ones. These were dads who were involved in their daughters' lives and were very present and loving towards their daughters, but, like you said, just crystallized them in this, you know, prepubescent phase and kind of can't move beyond that can't think about sex doesn't want to talk about sex nope etc yeah and so let's talk a little bit though about daddy issues and daddy's little girls in pop culture because that was a large focus of the mama's boy episode because it became so deeply ingrained in mid-century american culture so what about when it comes to daddy's girls and we'll talk more about that when we come right back from a quick break This episode is brought to you by Quip. When's the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? With Quip's new Smart Electric Toothbrush, good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more. The Quip Smart Brush for adults and kids connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth, so you can track when you're brushing, get tips, you can earn points, and you can redeem those points for rewards. Already have a Quip? Upgrade it with a smart motor and keep the features you know and love. And beyond the brush, Quip has everything you need to build a complete routine. Equal-friendly solar battery charger to power your Quip with sunshine and the refresh bag to bring you good oral care habits everywhere you go. Plus, you can get brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills delivered from $5. And shipping is free. How smart is that? 
Start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today and go to getquip.com slash stuffmom right now to get your first refill free. That is your first refill free at getquip.com slash stuffmom. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash stuffmom. Quip, better oral health made simple and rewarding. Gotta tell you about Best Fiends. It's the game pretty much everybody's talking about. Morgan number two plays it sometimes before we start the show. You know, it really challenges your brain with the fun puzzles, but it's also a very casual game, so it won't stress you out, which is perfect these days, right? What's great is you can use the game as a way to connect with your friends and your family, all while social distancing. The game is so much more than your average mobile puzzle game. It's five-star rated with over 100 million downloads, thousands of fun levels, and tons of characters to collect. You know, there are new in-game challenges and events every month, so the game's always fresh. You'll never be bored with it. You can even play the game without using Wi-Fi. So, here we go. You don't want to miss out on the game. Join millions of Americans and a lot of us here on the show who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. Just go over there, hit download Best Fiends for free, Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Check it out. I do think you'll like it. Friends without the R, Best Fiends. And now back to the show. So, it's about time we got around to talking about Freud because we mentioned him so much in our Mama's Boy episode. And we also mentioned the whole post-World War II period when a lot of societal fears and anxieties cropped up, not only around uh, mothers and their children, but also homosexuality and what that meant as a changing society. Yeah, and there was just this really intense focus on psychoanalysis and particularly psychoanalysis through that Oedipal framework, kind of the placing perhaps too much uh, importance and fear on the child's relationship, particularly with the opposite sex parent. And Tulane history professor Rachel Devlin actually wrote an entire book about this in 2005 called Relative Intimacy, Fathers, Adolescent Daughters, and Post-War American Culture. And she argues in it that the whole daddy issues, daddy's girls thing was a, a combination of two forces, one being the popularity of Freudian psychoanalysis, and then also the rise of female delinquency, because you have... In post-World War II America, for the very first time, teenage culture really being this big thing. I mean, you even if you look back at Life magazine at the time, they have feature stories on like what being a teenager is because it's this sort of new phase in life. And it has this whole culture and consumer culture around it after the war. And with that, you also see the rise of female delinquency. And you can see it on screen through classic films such as rebel without a cause and there was a fear about these these female delinquents these girl gangs what's going on well blame their dads i know well it's so funny to see those anxieties blown up like that it's just like oh my god you mean women are women and young girls are developing their own sort of like personalities outside of the home and they're they're becoming teenagers and that is so scary she's wearing lipstick oh no what does that mean can you imagine what they would have done if they had seen spring breakers Clutched their pearls for sure. Freud would have been like, oh, I got a lot to say. But uh, Devlin talks about how during this time, girls perceived misbehavior was explained as a paternal failing. She says that 
girls were seen as being not sufficiently Oedipally connected to their fathers. And this whole Oedipal framework that Kristen mentioned was a way to try to control and reintegrate girls into the family. But what surprised me, considering the way we talk about Freud on this podcast, what surprised me is that Freud thought this whole perception was warped. He himself thought that these urges needed to be overcome, not maintained. Freud thought that, sure, girls and young women have to go through this, pass through this phase of like having this relationship with their dad. But they the key is that they have to then pass through it. Right. Well, and one example that she calls out in terms of maintaining rather than overcoming was through the use of lipstick. This is an actual thing. She said that it was thought at the time that girls who were allowed to wear bright lipstick, which was in vogue, with their father's blessing would be sexually well-developed, whereas dads who forbade their daughters to wear lipstick were arresting their daughter's sexual development. So, yeah, I mean, talk about some loaded lipstick. Interesting. Band, new band name. Well, I mean, because, too, in, this is in the, what, 40s and 50s, mm-hmm. and only a few decades prior, wearing, wearing rouge on your lips would have been something only uh, stage actresses would do. And you know what stage actresses do? They act. And, I, they, and they fornicate. <laughs> but she then ties that to this idea of a new fatherhood that began emerging in the 1920s. This is when we slowly see uh, the development of, of dad's roles starting to ch- change, gradually becoming more involved and it becoming more of an expected part of the paternal role, not just to go out and bring home the bacon and be the provider, but also provide emotional security as well. And when the depression hit, it had an interesting influence on the father-daughter relationship. And this is coming from the book, American Sweethearts, Teenage Girls in 20th Century Popular Culture. And Alana Nash, the author, says that the trophy daughter idea thrived in the depression when the proliferation of sub-deb, as in debutante, images in popular culture addressed the perceived crisis of masculinity, suggesting that daddy was still a real man and that his masculinity was not lost entirely in the crisis as long as he could protect his angelic little girl. So daddy's little girl is going to be showered with gifts. He is going to, you know, buy all these things for her to protect her and also in the process, assert his own masculinity, which is being threatened by this economic crisis of the Great Depression. That is interesting. The layers on that one. Yeah. It's probably not the same thing as when my father a couple years ago asked if if I wanted him to take me uh, fine china shopping. I was like, do you really? Do you think I'm never going to get married? You're just going to step up to the plate and buy me some some plates. Maybe he wanted to assert his masculinity. <sighs> Or something. Or maybe he has a secret love for ceramics, Caroline. He could. I don't know. I don't know. You know, we don't know everything about our fathers. This is true. This is true. But that's interesting because, I mean, you're talking in a in a time frame of the Depression, or Alana Nash is talking about a time frame of the Depression. But, I mean, now we have something similar if you look at things like moving on from debutantes up to the popularity these days of, like, purity balls and stuff. Ooh, yeah. The purity balls being... Events that are more typically associated with evangelical Christianity and the whole uh, virginity pledge thing. There are these 
events called purity balls where fathers will escort their daughters to a prom-like event where, or and it's sort of a prom and also a coming out kind of event where dads will pledge publicly to protect their daughter's sexual purity and then the daughters sort of pledge themselves to their dads as well. There's definitely a, a lot of interaction between what we've been talking about and that phenomenon. But in all of this, I mean, you could argue that all of that sounds pretty weird. But overall, I think there's a lot more social acceptance for daddy's little girl, daddy's princess, things like that. Even like grown women saying it versus mama's boy, which is definitely pathologized. Yeah, because what have we seen in all of this research? There is this, you know, hammering home over and over again, this idea that if you have a solid relationship with your dad as a female, then you are well-adjusted, you know, and there it, it kind of, like, can't... And, and the only way that it starts to get so close that people start turning their noses up at it is when it becomes almost too financially involved, where she becomes a spoiled little princess mm-hmm. rather than just daddy's little girl. But a, a woman who is codependent on her father in the same way that a a guy might be codependent on his mother that we call him a mama's boy those are perceived very differently it seems like even even today and speaking of peggy drexler the author of our fathers ourselves uh, and psychologist the the one big type of father that she calls out in her book that she sort of has no patience for is the dad who really fosters the whole daddy's little girl image not in the sense of like wanting to have a close relationship with her, his daughter, but dads who sort of want to almost over put their daughters in a bell jar in a way to protect them from everything because she says that it might render them incapable of self-actualizing as adult women because these dads want to hold on to them because maybe it's a need to assert masculinity. Maybe it's a fear, you know, uh, of knowing themselves as younger horny men and not wanting to think about that in the context of their sexually maturing daughters um but uh yeah she's she does not look kindly upon that that's funny like i don't i don't i never got the impression that my dad wanted to keep me his little girl forever i got the impression more that he was off to the side like oh oh she's growing up and i'm just i'll just be over here i don't i can't watch Not that he was, like, super comfortable with me, like, dating or anything. It was more that he's like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Don't tell me. But Rachel Devlin, who we mentioned earlier, also looks at these contemporary father-daughter relationships from an interesting perspective. She says that they're more commercially oriented as evidenced by things like MTV's show My Super Sweet 16. Yeah, in case you haven't seen this reality show, and I don't know that it's still on the air, it showcases a lavish, over-the-top, sweet 16 party for a kid. A lot of times it's a girl who is usually pretty spoiled, gets everything that she wants, and usually ends with someone getting a new car. And it's always interesting in the show, too, or thinking back on the show. It's not like I'm sitting at home still watching it these days. But I watched it enough in my youth to know that every now and then, the, the mom always played a larger role in the show. Because the dad was off doing whatever, making these buku bucks to pay for this party. And when he would show up, though, he would always be the one 
handing over the keys to the car and mm-hmm. like looking proud as a peacock to be showing off how well he was providing for his lovely daughter coming of age. Yeah. Look at look at what he's doing. It's that trophy daughter idea which is uh which is really fascinating to think about. Right, but I mean I think what you just said illustrates what Devlin is talking about as far as the monetary exchange being used as a way for fathers to distance themselves from their daughter's sexual development. Well, yeah, because it probably feels more appropriate to make a purchase to demonstrate your love because as dads can probably attest when you know girls start to their daughters start to mature all of a sudden they get boobs when you hug them it feels different than when you hug them as little girls and showing them physical affection could get uncomfortable maybe for them and for their daughters and so yeah I could totally see the consumer side of it being a a distancing factor Mm -hmm. or a strategy I should say but one thing that we've touched on but haven't really gotten into is the fact and we, we talked about this a little bit with Mama's Boys and that there are just different dynamics going on if it's a same-sex couple raising kids than it is with our stereotypical mother-father household that has been studied to death. Yeah, I mean, the thing for both of these episodes, Mama's Boys and Daddy's Girls, is, again, goodness, those phrases just burned holes in my brain. Uh, it's interesting to to talk about both of them at this time when I feel like the role of mother and father is very much in flux Mm -hmm. and almost it's starting to meld together into this broader role of just being a good parent and it not being so gender specific Um, because, you know, like you said, there are now plenty of two-parent households with kids who are doing perfectly well where there is neither a father or neither a mother, depending on which kind of same-sex couple it is. And uh, there was actually an article in The Advocate uh, called The Lesbian Dad and talking about how there are some gender non-conforming lesbians who are more comfortable with their kids calling them dad or a derivative thereof, like uh, they profiled one uh, woman who preferred to be called Baba rather than being called mom or mommy because particularly with the mommy, there's just there's just no identification with that label whatsoever. And I can understand that. I mean, I'm oh, thinking of myself being called mommy. Nope. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, th- this also goes back to an episode that Kristen and I did a while ago on the division of household labor, basically, that even the most like progressive, forward-thinking man, woman, feminist couple, even those couples can tend to fall back to gender norms when it comes to the division of household labor. Whereas if you have same-sex couple, the traditional household duties are more equally distributed. Yeah, and there was a study among Swedish children in lesbian households that came out in 2013, and it concluded, based on interviews with these kids, that they, quote, described daddies as the same as mummies. And that's mummies with a U because it's from Sweden, and I really enjoy that. Um So in other words, in these kids' minds who are being raised in these lesbian households with very egalitarian setups, the both parents had sort of similar functions, you know, like daddy's mummy, mummy's daddy, and everybody's happy. Yeah, I think we are at an interesting tipping point socially and culturally as far as, like you said, people realizing the importance of just 
being a good parent, whether you are male or female, whether you're mom or dad or baba, whoever you are, and the importance of, you know, being loving and caring to your child, regardless of what role you fill. Well, and I also know of some straight couples as well, where the father tends to engage in more stereotypical maternal activities with the child and vice versa with the mom. Maybe the mom's a little more outdoorsy and tends to have a little more rough and tumble play with the kids. So I think if anything, it's a positive sign that there is more acceptance of how there can be fluidity in these roles. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to, though, Caroline, this whole daddy issues thing, can we circle back to the daddy issues insult? It, uh, I don't know. Is it, is it a, is it a phrase that we need to retire? Oh, I'd like to see it retired. I mean, uh, you know, it is always such an ugly insult to say to somebody. Yeah. I mean, it's also used a lot. If you just Google around different combinations with it, it is used a lot in uh, headlines as a clever turn of phrase to indicate that there, there's some kind of problem somewhere like, oh, this you know, this organization has daddy issues or whatever. So I don't know. I just feel like it's so hackneyed and cliche that um, maybe maybe we need to move beyond the daddy issues thing. Or maybe I'm just also tired of it, you know, everyone saying that all feminists have daddy issues. Yeah. I right, let's, let's retire it collectively. We'll agree to do it. Okay. All right, listeners. All right. Well, and also listeners... Now we want to hear from you. We want to know about your own dad-daughter relationship, good, bad, non-existent. How has that impacted you? And also, what are your thoughts on the whole daddy's little girl thing, daddy issues? Do you think it should be retired? Or do you think that it is useful in some applications? Let us know all of your thoughts. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is where you can send us your letters. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast and send us a message on Facebook as well. And we've got a couple of messages that have nothing to do with dads to share with you right now. This episode is brought to you by Chinet. The Chinet brand provides premium disposable tableware to celebrate moments of togetherness. Yes, and right now that is more important than ever especially when we're all apart. So recently, I had a group and we had a a socially distanced barbecue where the host drew out circles and chalk that were six feet apart. And everyone showed up with their own chairs and beverages. And it was really convenient to have disposable products. And we we just had a, a lovely conversation. Um, it was really fun. Yeah. And I'm with the disposable products, I know that the China brand provides durable and trusted products, which I have used before, that let you enjoy every moment of the get-togethers and traditional or now not. And there are classic white products that can work for any gathering or cut crystal plates and cups when you want to make something a little extra special. Disposable tableware keeps things simple and cleanup easy. Chinet products are available wherever you buy groceries, including delivery or pickup. This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on video calls all day, having to wear masks everywhere, and now using our eyes and only our eyes to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite brow products that is so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, have the most amazing brows ever. 
They have professional quality products at the perfect price point. Celebrity makeup artists use arches and halos because of how well done the formulas are, and they are half the price of department store brands. They have eight color shades to choose from, everything from sunny blonde to auburn to charcoal. Everyone is represented. They cater to women and men of all brow shapes and sizes. Embrace your natural brow. And they're all about individuality. Brow tools for all looks and style needs. You can use for dramatic or natural look. They have an amazing range of products, too, from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, gels, all kinds of things. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos Professional Brow Grooming. Be bold, be you. I've got a letter here from Hannah in response to our Women's Wanderlust episode. She writes, I wanted to mention a few observations I've made while traveling alone. I made my first alone trip to India 10 years ago at 21, and I've kept going back ever since. And the part of the observation of hers that I wanted to share with listeners is this. My biggest problem traveling in India as a woman has been finding toilets when on long trips through rural areas. I've had to talk many a bus driver into keeping the whole bus waiting while I wander off, usually into some potentially snake-infested field, to find a discreet spot. Women in saris will often just lift their skirt on the side of the road, and wearing pants makes it more complicated. The lack of facilities for women in India is a well-known problem, and of course much more serious for the local women who risk getting raped when looking for a secluded space. For me, it's a mere annoyance. As for the distinction between traveler and tourist, I would just say that someone who insists on calling herself a traveler and not a tourist is just a very pretentious tourist. And I do think solo travel can make you a bit self-absorbed in the long run. Whenever I've come across some of those self-proclaimed off-the-beaten-track travelers who've been roaming around for years, I make a sport out of timing how long it takes them to ask a single question about anyone else. I've experienced having hour-long conversations, in quotes, about the wonderfully intriguing travels of such people without even having been asked for my name. This turned out, this letter turned out long and I could go on and on. Sorry about that. And thanks for making my early commute to work enjoyable. Sounds like she's run into some not so great travelers. Haha, <laughs> see what I did? <laughs> or tourists, yeah. Right. <laughs> so thanks, Hannah. Okay, I have a letter here from Gabby. She says, hello, ladies. Hello. I'm a Brazilian actress and have discovered your podcast recently. Hello, welcome. So your podcast on fat bottom girls was especially interesting for me. I grew up in a culture that's really butt centric. That is my own analysis, but I feel that globalization is changing preferences in Brazil in front of my own eyes. As in the 90s, most people would choose butts over breasts. In the 2000s, globalization had a boom, in quotes, And since then, middle and upper class males have been paying more attention to breasts. The culture and cult of the bottoms were left to the lower classes. That can be seen very specially in the music scene. Inside Brazil's slums, a really popular rhythm is called funk carioca that valorizes a cultural vision really similar to the North American rap. The lyrics and dances tend to be really sexualized by men and women and quite focused on the bottoms so thank you she signs it lots of love from brazil and lots of love to you gabby as a new listener we appreciate your letter yes indeed and we appreciate all of your letters keep them coming 
Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is where you can send them, or you can always get in touch by tweeting us at Momstuff Podcast or messaging us on Facebook. And for links to all of our social medias, as well as all of our blog posts, videos, and podcasts, including this one, which also includes our sources, so you can follow along, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. If you crack open an American history book, it's sure to be filled with founding fathers, bloody wars, and the inventions that brought this country to the industrial age. But there's a whole other world that waits for us in the shadows. Tales of unlikely heroes, world-changing tragedies, and legends that are unique to this country's spirit. So join me, Lauren Vogelbaum, for a tour of American history unlike any other, through a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Aaron Menke's Grim and Mild. Get ready for American Shadows. Listen to American Shadows on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Dear Young Rockers Season 2 is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early 20s and a lifelong relationship with music. It's hosted by me, Chelsea Erson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.